I want to see if you remember this commercial. Um, we're talking about Jonah being questioned. Who are you, Jonah? And this commercial is what came to mind. So let's watch the commercial and see if you recall this one. When I grow up, I want to file all day. I want to claw my way up to middle management. Be replaced on a whim. I want to have a brown nose. I want to be a yes man. Yes woman. Yes sir. Coming sir. Anything for a raise, sir. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be underappreciated. Be paid less for doing the same job. I want to be forced into early retirement. Anybody remember that? Raise your hand if you remember it. Not so many of you, because... It's a long time ago. I was amazed that it was like all the way from 2010. So some of you weren't even around then, um, but the rest of you, I don't know where you were during the Super Bowl. You should have been watching that. But none of us dream of being pencil pushers, right? We don't dream of these places. Sometimes you may end up in your job. When I was a uh, 10-year-old, somewhere around there, I was reading the Hardy Boy series, and I read all of them, and I still have a big shelf of Hardy Boy books, and I was absolutely sure that I was going to be a detective or maybe a state trooper. That was what I saw my life uh, in the future, and I thought, hey, I'm going to be just like Joe and Frank Hardy out there solving crimes and protecting the public, but that's not what happened. God had some different ideas for me. A lot of times people make the mistake of making their career their title, their position, their entire identity. And when something changes with their job, it's devastating. Or when they retire, they wonder, now who am I? I used to be in charge of this. I used to do this. And now what do I do? What is my purpose? We can get lost quickly when things don't turn out the way we hoped they would and when things change. And if anything happens in life, you know that change is one of the big things that will happen. So in today's message, as we continue from Jonah, it's about identity. It's about the dangers of focusing on who you are not. Jonah saw the people of Nineveh and even the men in the ship with him as others, people who were nothing like him. And he failed to embrace how God saw those people. Our sermon series from Jonah is called Running from God's Grace. And the theme of God's grace is woven throughout this book. It's one of the minor prophets. That's because it's a shorter book. And as we continue, we will see that there is a great need for us to have a love for the world. There's a great need for us to share our great God with the people around us. And in this narrative, we're going to see how God sovereignly orchestrates events in Jonah's life to show him just how amazing his grace is, to show Jonah how many things God has already done for him, how privileged he was, and how he was ignoring the people around him. And as this prophet runs away from God again and again, we see God drawing him back and pulling him back. Last week, we saw Jonah sadly ignoring the unbelieving Gentiles that were in the ship with him. But instead, God wants us to love our neighbors, to care for them. 
And today we're going to see Jonah wrestling with answering a very simple question. Who are you? Jonah realized and will realize that his identity as a prophet had changed. He didn't really love people. He didn't really care for people. He liked the title and maybe he liked the position, but the actual job of sharing God's word is something that he was really struggling with. God was teaching Jonah a valuable lesson. And I'm so glad, again, I've said this before, but our Bible is so real. This is written by Jonah, revealing just how terrible things were in his own heart. And if we were writing our own autobiography, we would always make ourselves look better. But Jonah shows us just what was going on and how God kept working on him, how he kept pulling him and drawing him back again and again. If you missed those previous question, previous sermons and you want to watch them, there's a couple of QR codes in the bulletin. If you're watching online with us, you can go to the YouTube page and you can find the Jonah series. It's also on our website. A number of different ways that you can find that and catch up. But let's turn to Jonah. You'll find him just before the New Testament begins, sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah. And if you're grabbing one of those black pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 726. If you grab one of the red ones, it's page 920. And let's turn and read the beginning of Jonah. But before I do, let's just go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the rain. Sometimes we're frustrated by the rain because we want to do things outside. We want to enjoy things. But you know what our earth needs. You care for it. You care for the flowers and the trees and the plants and the animals and everything we need. So, Lord, we just trust you that you're giving us exactly what we need. And, Lord, we know that the rain comes for everyone and it falls on everyone. And let us just remember your love for us. Lord, as we open your word this morning, help us to have open eyes, to have open hearts, to have minds that are ready to hear your word, to look at ourselves and see what needs to change. As we hold ourselves up to the mirror of your word, we see your holiness, your love, your grace, your care for people. And Lord, as we look at our own hearts, help us to be honest in evaluating them and see the things that need to change. Lord, bless the rest of this service and the rest of our day together in Christ's name. Amen. So Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read down to verse 10 just to get us caught up. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So we ended last week's message with the ship captain finding Jonah down below deck asleep during a crazy storm. The captain says to him, call out to your God. Maybe he'll care for us so we don't die. And then the crew tries to figure out just who's to blame for this storm. They realize that this is not a regular storm. Maybe they can see the clouds and the lightning and the wind right on them and off in the distance, blue skies. We don't know exactly how they knew it, but previous verses said that they knew that this was not a normal storm. They try to figure out who it is, and it says they cast lots to make it fair. This was like drawing straws. They probably used small marked stones, maybe like dice, and as the short straw or the stone pointed to Jonah, they now want to know who he is and just what he's done to anger the gods so much. Their questions were, what is your purpose? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What's your nationality? Who are your people? Many of these same categories we use to describe ourselves. I'm a pastor. I'm originally from New Jersey, if you can't tell from my great accent. I'm half Italian, and the rest of me is a mixture of Irish, German, French, Scottish, English, just about all of the Western European nations. Our job, our purpose in life, where we're born, our cultural roots can tell you a lot about a person. And sometimes we prejudge each other based on those things. When we hear someone's last name, we immediately put them in a category and say, oh, everyone I've known like that has been this way. But that's how we get to know each other. What do you do? Where are you from? Who are your people? If I asked you, what is your occupation? What's your life purpose? How would you answer? Would you tell me your job title or maybe where you work? Would you tell me your family goals? You're hoping to get all of your kids grown and out of your house, successfully out there somewhere else in their own home, raising their own family? How does your identity as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, impact your purpose in life. Whether it's your job or not, what are your personal goals? What does success look like for your life? And who determines that success? 
Is it you saying, I think I'm doing a good job? Are you trying to measure up to a parent's standards and no matter what you do, you feel like you're always failing? Is it a boss who's never happy with your work? Who is the one judging your success? Is it God? Scripture says, do all your work heartily as unto the Lord. At the end of the day, can you say, God, I did everything I could today. I did my best for you. Because if you do that, you can lay your head on the pillow at night and sleep pretty soundly if you believe that you've done everything you can to your best for God. Well, the sailors have exhausted their options. They begged each other. They begged their gods, please save us. They talked to each other, Who, whose fault is this? And they finally realized that there's a God that they haven't prayed to yet that must be angry. How can we figure out how to appease this God? How can we save ourselves? And Jonah was the, really un, was the only real unknown on their small ship. Who is this man? He came down, he bought a ticket, but we have no idea who he is. All we know is he was asleep through the storm of the century. He didn't seem to care about us. He didn't seem to care about anything. Who is this man? And that brings us to the question of whose are you? You may think that this sounds outdated or superstitious, but as we read this passage, they're praying to their gods, right? Each of them has a god of their tribe or of their nationality. If you were a mariner, you had the gods of the sea, so you might be praying to them. And that sounds so odd to us today because we don't believe in any of that pagan stuff, right? We don't worship idols. We don't believe there's a god of the grass and a god of the trees and a god of the sun. If you studied any history, you know that there was a Roman god called Mercury, and the Greeks called him Hermes. He doesn't really exist, but he was the god of commerce. He was the god of business. He was the one that you prayed to for wealth. And while we would say Mercury and Hermes are just fictions of old people, ancient people's imagination, how many people today make business, make wealth the center of their lives? In the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko famously said, greed is good. I'm not a destroyer of companies, I'm a liberator of them. He said, greed is what drives us to do our best. For Gordon Gecko, money, power, success was his God. That's what he put above everything else. His family didn't matter. Friendships and relationships didn't matter. It was all about winning in business. For many people, Power and success and accumulating a lot of money is the whole purpose of their lives. And while they wouldn't put it in terms of, this is what I worship, they certainly sacrifice everything on that altar. Often their marriages, often their closest relationships, often their kids are all cast aside as they run headlong after this perfect dream. 
And sometimes we even make it look good by saying, well, I just want to have enough money to leave to my kids. Do your kids know you? Are you around for their games? Are you there for their school projects? Are you home at all? Do you just want to remember? They, are they only going to remember you by the check they may get someday when you're gone? That's a God that many people worship. Another goddess, Venus, was the Roman god of beauty. The Greeks called her Aphrodite. And again, it's mythology, but our culture certainly worships beauty and self-pampering to a level not seen maybe since the French Revolution. When we look back and see those paintings of men with curly wigs and women with this amazing, these amazing creations and these dresses that they can't even move in, and we think, how silly, right? You can't even breathe. And yet, how many people today are on their phones showing everybody just how beautiful they look all the time? or they're comparing themselves to everybody else. When you watch anything on Hollywood, um, we recently watched part of the Carol Burnett 90th birthday celebration. And that was fun to see a lot of the people that were on her show. And I'm looking at these people and thinking, wow, they, they look like they're younger than me. And they're in their 60s and 70s, and they've had all kinds of work done. I haven't had a lot of work done. You might be able to tell that. But it's, in Hollywood, it's all about how you look, right? And they have to keep up. Otherwise, they're not going to get the roles. They're not going to be cast in certain things. And today, that's the message we're telling our young women, our young men, that it's all about how you look. You have to have the right clothes. Your hair has to be perfect. Your face has to be perfect. Your body has to be perfect. It's all about how good you look. It's an obsession. And again, while it's not the god Venus that people are bowing to, they are certainly giving up so many other things to just look right. Restricting their diets, putting in countless hours of exercise. Scripture says, take care of your body. Right? It's the temple of God. God lives within you, so we should honor God with our bodies. We should be healthy enough to serve him and do all the things we should do. But when it becomes an obsession, when we sacrifice time with our family, when we sacrifice the ability to serve other people because we're somewhere else taking care of our body, trying to make us look beautiful, then this self-focus, this pride becomes another false god. This is what God said about us. In Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God created people in his image. That doesn't mean we look like him, but we have his character. And we're called to live to the glory of God. The way we eat, the way we drink, whatever we're doing should all bring glory to God. Not promoting ourselves. Not getting people to look at us and say how amazing we look. 
but to see God's character, his love, his compassion, his care. And he calls us to bring that image to the ends of the earth. We are his image bearers, not our own image bearers. So when the sailors asked Jonah, who are you? What they were really asking is, whose are you? What have you given yourself to? What controls you? What gives you value and self-worth? What's your identity? Who do you fundamentally trust over everything else? Or what do you trust? Scripture says some trust in horses and chariots, but I trust in the Lord my God. Do you trust in your bank account, in your vehicles, in your home, in all the things that you have? That's what's going to hold you up? Or do you trust in God? Is he the one at the center of your life? Whose are you? Are you God's? Or do you belong to someone else? Have you given your life to something else? So what's my identity. Jonah answers the sailor's question about identity in reverse. They say, tell us on whose account this has happened. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Whose people are you? Jonah doesn't mention his occupation first. Perhaps this was what was most important to him. I am a Hebrew. He answers with his nationality as utmost important, even more than his faith, even more than his religion. And then he adds, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. Note again how he answers. He doesn't say, I worship, I love, I follow, I adore God. He says, I fear God. Those are the words of someone running from God. He fears God. He fears the plan that God has for his life. He fears what God called him to do. He fears God. He doesn't follow or love God. So many people put their nationality above their faith, and they don't really have an actual relationship with God. They just follow what they think is the appropriate religion to go with their nationality. And in this area, we could say, I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I'm Polish, of course I'm Roman Catholic. Or I'm Swedish, I'm German, I'm Lutheran, I'm Middle Eastern, I'm a Muslim, I follow and fear Allah. Jonah talked about his nationality. He ignored the occupation question completely because he could no longer say, I'm a prophet of the Lord. He failed at his purpose, which was sharing God's message. God said, go tell the people of Nineveh, call out against them, tell them to repent. And he ran away from that calling. We'll see in the upcoming weeks that without his occupation, he was without purpose. He said, I'm ready to die. And we'll see that next week. Throw me overboard. I'm useless. There's no point in me going on. Jonah identifies his God as the one who made the sea and the dry land. And now the sailors are really afraid. This isn't just the God of the fish, 
or the God of the wheat. This is the one who created the sea. This is the one who created the earth, the dry land. Now we're in trouble. What have you done? What have you done, Jonah? At some point, he must have thrown in the minor fact that he was running from God. It doesn't tell us that in the text, but it says in verse 10, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah threw in that little tidbit. Oh, and by the way, that God, I'm running away from him. So now they're really afraid. They pick up on this. The God who made the seas and the land, there's nowhere you can escape him. If he created the earth, it's all his domain. What have you done to us all? You've killed us all. Jonah's identity was really shallow. All he was clinging to was, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. And a shallow identity with God produces Christians who may say they follow Jesus, who may call themselves a Christian, but their actual lives show something very different. Their words and their actions may reveal the reality that they're racists, they're materialists, they're addicts, they're workaholics, they're worriers, they're self-lovers. They don't really love God. He's just an add-on. Oh, that's my religion. That's where I go on Sundays, or that's the way my parents raised me, but I haven't been back. If our, list, if our life purpose is not the glory of God, and carrying his image to the ends of the earth, then we're not really followers of Jesus Christ. We're not really Christians. If our identity is just what we do or where we come from, if your identity is not the glory of God, if that's not your life purpose, then you're fooling yourself and you're maybe fooling people around you. Jesus painfully said, on the day of judgment, there will be so many people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. We loved people in your name. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. You were doing all of those things to make yourself look good. That was what you wanted to do, but you were never mine. You're never a true follower of Jesus Christ. And that's got to be scary for every one of us to read that and question, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I seeking to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and to love my neighbors as myself? That's what it looks like. We can easily blind ourselves to our real identity, our real self. If it's based on your courage, then any time life gets a little too hard, you're going to crack. If your identity or your worth is based on your success at work and you've been climbing the ladder and moving up and getting promotions and getting more responsibility and then the day comes when your company closes or they say, I'm sorry, we're going to have to lay off your department, you're going to feel absolutely lost if that's your identity. If your own value as a person, as a mom or a dad, is all about your kids, 
and making sure that they're in every activity and they're excelling at all of them and they're getting great grades and they're getting into the good schools. And one of your kids, just one of them, goes off track. You're going to feel like a complete failure if that's your identity. Can you control your kids? No, we can't. We can do everything we can to help them, but the Bible says everyone will stand before the Lord. Everyone has to answer for their own soul. So while we want to see them go to school and learn and do well, and we want to give them opportunities to learn about God, we can't make any decisions for our kids. And if your identity, your value and worth is all wrapped up in your kids, you're going to have heartbreak. If you haven't had it yet, it's coming. Whether it's your kids or your grandkids, someone is going to do something that is not in your playbook. And it's going to hurt. None of these aspirations are bad. Having a good job, providing for your family, taking care of your kids, loving them, driving them all over the place, those are all good things to do. And we can glorify God in those things. But when our value, when our identity is in them instead of God, then our lives are built on shifting sand. Things that are completely out of our control. And when the storms of life come, and they will come, if your rock is not Jesus Christ, if the foundation of your life is not God, then the bottom is going to fall out from you. The good news is God is still there, and he will reach out a hand and say, come on back. I'm sorry you had to learn the lesson that way. And that's what's going to happen to Jonah. He's about to find out just how cold that water is. Our foundation, our purpose in life needs to be in God, in whom there is no variableness, there is no change. So let's learn from some of Jonah's mistakes. Let's learn that nationalism, putting your country above God, above your faith, is wrong. Hating people who are different is wrong. It's the opposite of what Jesus did. Avoiding the other people. That's where the, today's title comes from, embracing the other. When we see people as other or different from us, when we keep the gospel away from them, when we keep God's love away from them, something is seriously wrong. We may be blind to some of this inner hostility, where instead of respecting and having compassion on the lost, we see people who are different and say, that's just wrong. Why aren't they doing it our way? Our way is the best way. When we see in our culture, in our language, our ways of life, and we see all of them as superior to others, we have a hard time having compassion and love for them. Why should we let those people into our country? Look at how those people ruined the neighborhood. Those people. If that thought crosses your mind and it's, in so many of our thoughts, but doesn't always come out, then God's got to do a work in your heart. You can ask him to help you. How many of you were born in a different country other than the United States? Anybody? One, two, three, four. Okay. How many of you are second generation Americans? Your parents came from another country. 
Raise them up high. How many of you are third generation? It doesn't take very long to find out that Americans are from somewhere else, right? We were a colony founded by other countries, and everyone here came from somewhere else except for our Native Americans, the people that were here. But they even crossed over, whether it was the Bering Strait or however they got to North America, they came from Eden somewhere, right? Everybody here came from somewhere else. So how quickly do we turn and say, they don't belong? Why are they here? Your ancestors, whether it was your parents or grandparents or whoever it was, faced the difficulty of people saying, you don't belong here. And yet we do. This country was founded on giving freedom to those who don't have it. Instead of hating people, instead of pushing them the way, how can we help them? Jonah ran from bringing the message of God to the people of Nineveh. He slept and he ignored the sailors. His focus was on how people were different from them. I'm not like those people of Nineveh. They're terrible. They don't deserve the good news. They don't deserve God. The men on his ship, even though they're bailing out and throwing things overboard, he was just down there sleeping. He didn't even care about them. When we see people that are foreign or strange or unusual as different from us, it's easy to dehumanize them. And that's how violence, that's how ultimately wars break out when we don't see people as people, other people. People created in the image of God, people that God loves, people that Jesus died to save. When we no longer see people as fellow human beings, we can keep God's love from them. We can keep his mercy, his compassion to ourselves or just to the people around us, and we begin to hate instead of embrace. The book Gentle and Lowly is one I'm reading with our deacons, and you might want to pick up a copy of that. We see Jesus running towards the broken, running towards sinners, running towards hurting people to embrace and love them. He didn't ignore their sin. His message was, I know you're broken. I know things are messed up. That's not the way God created all this to be. I'm going to change that. He called people to salvation. He called people to repentance. But first, he had compassion. He met them where they were. He ran to them. He sat down with them. He ate with them because he didn't see them as other he saw them as lost sheep without a shepherd. And he cared for them. He embraced them as he called them to repent, as he called them to new life. That's what being a Christian is. And that's the lesson that Jonah is supposed to be learning in all of this. Don't hate these other people. Share the good news with them. Why do you think it's only for you? It's a message that I want you to share with the world. So our takeaways today, if a total stranger walked up to you, or you're sitting in a small group and you don't know anybody, and someone says, who are you? How would you answer that question? If you're taking notes, 
in the, on the note sheet, write down the first three things that come to your mind. Who are you? Maybe it's your name. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's where you live, your nationality. Does your identity in Christ, your purpose of being God's image bearer show up in that list at all? Is it one of the top three? Who are you? What's your purpose? Are you a son or daughter of God? Jesus died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. He called people to repentance. He called people to be forgiven, to be adopted into God's family. He called the other. He called people who needed a savior. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, God wants you in his family. We want you in our family to be a son or daughter of God. And then the last question is, how do you see others? How do you see them? You may have the right words on the outside, but what's the narrative running in your head? What are the things you would or wouldn't do? I wouldn't sit down and have coffee with that person. I wouldn't have them in my house. I wouldn't walk across the street to help them. But I'll say the right words so that I look like I'm a good person. What's the reality that you may be blind to? Do you hate them? Do you avoid them? Do you tolerate them? Maybe you're just indifferent to them. You kind of don't care. As long as they don't bother me, I'm not going to bother them. None of that is what Jesus called us to. Jesus called us to embrace others, including people who are different from us. That was the whole point of the Good Samaritan story. And we talked about that last, last week. Are you a good neighbor? Do you look at the people around you and say, If you're hurting, I'm hurting. What can I do to help you? We're image bearers of God. We're not only supposed to show his character, which is loving and compassion, but we are gospel carriers. We're ambassadors telling others how they can be reconciled to God, how they can become a son or a daughter of the king. If you're wrestling with any of these questions today, you can come talk to God about it. You can sit in one of these front pews You can walk up right now. You can come up during the closing song. If you'd like to pray and trust Jesus as your Savior, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you want to just pray on your own, you can do that. Or if you want somebody to pray with you, we would do that as well. I'm so glad that you're here with us today to hear about Jonah. And hopefully as we see the problems that he faced in his own heart, That's why God gave this to us, so we could see ourselves mirroring God's word and say, is this like me? What needs to change? Jesus Christ, I want to be more like you. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a closing song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jonah's honesty and sharing his story, including his struggles, including the worst sides of him. But I thank you, Lord, for continuing to follow him, continuing to chase after him, continuing to call him back. And Lord, this morning, I pray that anyone that is struggling with loving others, that they would listen to your voice and calling them back to you. Anyone that hasn't trusted Jesus as your savior, 
I pray that you would trust him and become adopted into his family today. Lord, help us to love others as you love us, to forgive others as you forgive us, to embrace others, to show them love and compassion as you show us. Now may God, the Father of peace himself, sanctify you completely and your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.